Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right. If you want to, if you've got your story Bibles, you can turn over to chapter 25. Uh, if you've brought your Bible instead, you can turn over to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning, looking at verses uh, 27 on to 38. So chapter 25 in the story, or Mark chapter 8. So we're continuing on in the story. There's actually 31 weeks in the story, so we're, we're on the home stretch here. We're, we're finishing up. If you would like a story Bible, there's actually some on the back table. So you can feel free to go ahead and grab one of those uh, to dig into. But we are, we are on our, our series in the story. We're going to wrap up somewhere in, in May. And uh, we're just praying about what God would lead us to do next. All right. We're going to pray and just uh, ask the Lord for help for this morning as we dig into his word. So Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of digging into your word this morning. God, thank you for the, the opportunity you've given us to, to open your word and to read your word and to have plenty of Bibles around and to hear your word proclaimed. God, I ask this morning that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word with faith. God, help us to uh, receive your word in a way, Lord, that doesn't just dismiss it, but God receives it and treasures it and produces a harvest from it. God, thank you for all of your blessings to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, I should say the last two weeks, we've had the privilege of hearing from some just fantastic uh, work of what God is doing in Africa and in India. And if you, if you miss those, I highly encourage you, get the, the podcasts to just catch up with what God's been doing. We're, we're connected not just locally with the number of churches in this area, but we're also connected globally. We've got brothers and sisters in churches and in, in ministries all over the world. And so last week we had a, a, just, a, just a, a dear brother from India who's working amongst some of the poorest of the poor in India and in the slum, people who live in the slums. And he began to tell us about the way in which they rescue women out of temple prostitution and give them a trade so they can learn how to sew and with that be able to keep themselves with a provision for their families and their children and keep themselves out of the temple prostitution. And just the, the amazing work they're also doing with the orphans and providing orphanages and, and planting churches and just on and on and on. It was phenomenal. It was so encouraging to hear the work of God in Francis's uh, life last week. Then the week before that, two weeks ago, we heard from Silent, Silent Guashavanu, who is in Africa. He's back home, safe and sound, probably celebrating at his church today. And Silence, uh, he, he pastors a church, but he also oversees a number of churches in, in Zimbabwe, Africa. And the area that he's working is also extremely poor. They work in the, the capital city of Harare in Zimbabwe, but they also do a lot of work in the r- rural areas. And when I say rural, it's not just a few houses. I mean, it's like huts and just, just barren land. It, it's really what you'd see like in a movie or something. It's very very primitive, very poor. Silent does a number of, uh, oversees a number of churches in those areas as well. And as you were talking last week, it just really stirred something inside of me. And I thought to myself, Francis was saying how uh, 
a sewing machine costs eighty-five dollars. For eighty-five dollars, they can they can purchase a sewing machine, and then what they do is they they lend they they teach a, someone who's coming out of prostitution. They teach them how to sew, and then from there they're able then to buy in a sense a sewing machine from Francis, which they pay back over small payments, which then provides an opportunity for Francis to purchase more sewing machines to lend out. So it's like a micro loan to these women that helps them get back on their feet and provide an income for their family. And so a sewing machine costs $85. Now, one of the things that Silent didn't say, and we didn't really ask him to share about, was the, the work that they do with orphans. And so in these very rural areas, what they'll do is they'll purchase a cow for a family who's taking in an orphan. So in those rural areas, they can't, they're not going to build an orphanage. What they'll do instead is they'll place orphans into families to already establish families. And so these families will bring in an orphan. And what they'll do with the orphan is, is they'll provide the meals and the food and the clothes and, and all those things for the orphan. However, the people don't have much money. So their group of churches that he oversees helps to finance the kids to be able to buy a school uniform because where they're from, to go to school, you have to have a uniform. And to buy a uniform, it's about $18 to buy a uniform. So they'll, they'll help buy the uniforms, they'll help provide money for food for, these, for the orphans. But the way they do is they'll buy a cow, and a cow is between $300 and $500, depending on the maturity of the cow. So they'll buy a cow, they'll, they'll give it to the family that has, that's hosting the orphan, that's bringing the orphan into their home, and then what they'll do with the cows, they'll, they'll use the milk to sell, to provide an income for the family, or to use it to plow. And then as, as that cow gives birth to smaller calves, they'll take the calf, and they'll either sell the calves, or they'll pass the cow on to the next family. And then they'll have calves again. They'll, they'll take a calf, send the cow into the next family. So that way, they're kind of like passing the cow around and sharing the cow so that everyone benefits from the cow. And one of the beautiful things in talking with Silent about the, the culture that they're in in Africa, he says, nothing, you personally don't own anything. It's not your car or my car, it's our car. It's not your cow or my cow, it's our cow. It's not your home or my home, it's our home. That's the way they, they understand community. It's, it's a shared sense of responsibility for one another. It's not your daughter or my daughter, it's, she's our daughter. So it's a beautiful way to, to just see the way Christianity and the Holy Spirit's working in and amongst the people there. So I thought this morning, what I'd like to do, and this is completely, we didn't, we didn't announce this to anyone, what I'd like to do this morning is just take up, give an offering. And give an offering to buy, if we can, if we can raise enough, buy a cow and buy some sewing machines. And so, like I said, we're going to do it this morning. We didn't, we, we didn't announce it to anybody. It's not something that we've been planning on doing for a long time. But after the service, we're going to put baskets in the back. And if you, if you feel moved, if you feel stirred to do that, I just encourage you to give. If you don't have any money on you, you can just write like IOU. We'll send the money on down to those guys. And whenever you've got the opportunity to, to put the money back into the church, it would be great. But I want to do this not as a, hey, I'm not going to give to church this week. Instead, I'll, give, I'll buy a cow. I'm asking that this would be above and beyond your normal giving, that this would be an offering of, of worship to the Lord that would say, you know what, I want to help support Silent and Francis in the work of caring for orphans and women coming out of prostitution. I think what a, what a, just a practical way that we, what we can do to help them 
and all that they're doing over in India and in Africa. Okay, so at the end of service, we're not going to announce it. It's just the, the basket will be back on that table. If you'd, if you'd like to give, please do so. But we'll send that money on down to, to Francis and to Silent Hub. Hopefully, if we can raise enough, buy a cow and some sewing machines. Does that sound okay? All right. Let's, let's dig into the story. All right, so week 23, which, was, which would have been almost five weeks ago, we began the New Testament. So it's the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. And so for 400 years, there had been prophetic silence in the nation of Israel, where they had, been, they had received the, the revelation from God about God's ways and purposes and God's calling them back to obedience to him again. And then there was 400 years of silence where there's no prophetic words whatsoever. Then Jesus Christ breaks in on the scene. And he comes to earth, and Jesus is God's perfect revelation of who he is. He's God's way of salvation for all people. So week 23, we see this. Week 24 then, which would have been three weeks ago, we read the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is describing for people what God's kingdom looks like, what God is like. He's beginning to describe for people God's purposes. And in this, he's beginning to attract the outsiders and outcasts and, and people who are far away from God begin to hear Jesus' words and draw near to him. God has got a purpose in everything. Now this week we, conti- we continue on in reading about Jesus Christ. But in this week it's not so much what he says about God's purposes, but what he says about himself. Because this morning the title of the chapter is Jesus the Son of God. And now we begin to see the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he's come to accomplish. Jesus came with a purpose. And so this morning we're going to dig into that. Now, the question that we're asked this morning in the the scripture, in the text this morning, is this question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And he asked this question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? So, What I'd like us to do for the next two minutes is turn to the person. I know people hate doing this, but we're going to try it. Turn to the person behind you, next to you, whatever, and just what does our culture, Ralph, you you can't turn around. You have to face forward, okay? (laughs) What does our culture say about Jesus Christ? What does our culture have to say about who Jesus is? If you were to pull just a random person on the street, hey, who is Jesus? What would our culture have to say about who Jesus is? So let's take two minutes, turn to the person on the side of you or in front of you and just begin to talk about who is Jesus. So help me out here now. Who do people say that Jesus is? What are some of the things that you guys discussed? A good guy. What else? A moral teacher? All right. What else? A religious figure? Mm-hmm. How about someone from this side? The quiet side. I think bad. Don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. They heard about him, but not quite sure exactly who is Jesus. Probably heard his name before. Anything else? A historical figure? Okay. All right. Well, 
the, the setting for what we're going to read about this morning is this, that Jesus is with his disciples in this area, the villages around Caesarea Philippi, okay? And Caesarea Philippi is in the area of Ponino, okay? In the area of Ponino, which it was home of the Greek god Pan. Not only that, but this was historically an area of Baal worship in the past. And the city of Caesarea Philippi had a, a massive temple dedicated to worshiping Caesar, the Roman emperor, as God. And so th- this city was to religion what Costco is to shopping, okay? So here we are in this region of, of this, all these gods surrounding Jesus, right? All these, these gods in the background, the temples, the historical worship of other gods, who the, the Greeks are worshiping. There's all these things going on. In the midst of all those things, Jesus begins to ask his disciples this question. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am. And so the disciples begin to, to tell Jesus kind of the, the, the pulse of the culture. Who do, who do people say that I am? Well, they begin to talk about, well, maybe you're, you're John the Baptist, or maybe you're a good teacher, or maybe you're a miracle worker, or maybe you're someone who hears from God and begins to tell people what God thinks. Those are all things that would be true about Jesus. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was a miracle worker. And so they begin to confess these things that the, the culture is saying about Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there because he wasn't just trying to get a, a feel for what are people saying like he didn't know what people were saying. Because he's getting to this question here where he asks the disciples, but what about you? Who do you say I am? That was the real question he's asking. Amongst the, 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 the pantheon of gods, amongst all the gods surrounding us right now, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. See, you can be, you can be a teacher, you can be a miracle worker, you can be a prophet, but those things fall way short of who Jesus really is. And against the backdrop of consumerism, prosperity, comfort, houses, cars, Jesus is asking us the same question. Although he's asking his disciples this question today, this is the question that Jesus is asking us as his people and as, a, as our culture Who do you say that I am? This is the very question that's been asked over and over and over again. Because this cuts to the very heart of everything that we believe. Of everything that we are. This cuts to the very heart of everything. Who is Jesus? We can agree on a lot of things, but the person of Jesus Christ is at the very center of all that God is doing. So this cuts to the very core of everything. 
in our world, who is Jesus? Recently, I was at a restaurant with some friends, and we began talking with our, with our server about Christianity. And we were going to pray for our food. And we said, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Would, would you like prayer for anything? And she's like, oh, that's great. Nope, you know, that's, thanks, guys. And so I said, but, you know, I'm good. And so as we were kind of packing up to head out, this, this, this young girl, probably young 20s, early 20s, she said, look, hey, man, what you, you guys, you know, the Christianity thing is great. My mom's a Christian. I'm, I'm just more of a spiritual person. And, you know, I just, um, I just, I think Jesus is, is, is great. You know, there's plenty of roads, but, you know, he's one road, and that's a great thing. And, and I was so interested because she was echoing, she was echoing the very thing that people were saying about Jesus then. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and people are still saying the same things about Jesus. He's a great teacher. Man, he's probably a prophet. He may have done some miracles. I mean, that's great. That's excellent, man. Way to go, you guys. Thank you for praying. Man, I'm right there with you guys. I'm, I'm a spiritual person, too. I thought, it's been 2,000 years, and still the very same things are being said about Jesus. It's not much different today. But Peter nails it. He says, you are the Messiah. You are God's anointed. You are God's way of salvation. You are the way that God has presented for us for salvation. Amongst everything, you are the means of salvation. Now I want to go on reading because Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, okay, well done. You passed the test. Let's take a break. No, Jesus presses in even further. Jesus, that just opened the door. Jesus had much more to talk to Peter. So let's, let's continue on, verses 31. Then he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. So Jesus here begins to describe the reason he came. He begins to describe his ministry while he's going to be here on earth. And he says this, suffer, rejected, killed, rise again. So what does Peter do? Peter pulls him aside and says, look, Jesus, look, this isn't right. And he's not saying, hey, Jesus, man, that's, that's not cool. Man, he, he begins to rebuke him. And this is the very same word that's used 
in describing Jesus' encounter with demons in Mark chapter 1 and in Mark chapter 3. He rebukes the demons. This is a harsh rebuke. This isn't a soft and gentle kind of confrontation where Peter's kind of tiptoeing around Jesus. No, Peter's getting in Jesus' face. He rebukes Jesus in front of all the disciples. And Jesus turns around and sees all the disciples sitting there staring because probably the disciples are like, hey, we agree with Peter, right? I mean, this, is, this, this talk of, of suffering and, and rejection and being killed, man, that's ludicrous. We don't even want to hear about this stuff. So how does Jesus respond to Peter? Calls him Satan. Calls, calls Peter Satan. Peter's in direct, he's standing in direct opposition to God's revealed word. Look, God's word has been, Jesus is speaking God's word. Peter says, no, I completely and absolutely reject what you have to say. And Jesus looks and says, that is satanic. You standing in opposition to my word is satanic. That's, get behind me, Satan. Man, how would you like Jesus to call you Satan? That's harsh. But Peter's rebuke of Jesus was because Peter wanted glory without suffering. He wanted glory without suffering. He said, look, this suffering part, man, forget that. Let's just move on to glory. Let's just get your crown and your, and, and your ruling and all these things, man. Forget all the suffering stuff. But Jesus' rebuke of Peter was because God uses suffering that's transformed into glory. This is the testimony that God has used throughout all of scriptures. Throughout all the pages of scripture, somehow there is no glory without suffering. That suffering is transformed into glory is the pattern God uses in scripture and in our lives as well. There's a pattern that through suffering, God transforms us and uses suffering to draw us closer to himself and make us more like himself. In watching Tim and Liz go through Liz's battle with cancer, it's been tremendous suffering. But in the middle of this, I've watched them grow closer to Jesus. And for any of us, as we experience suffering in our own lives, it would be wise of us to just sit with Tim and Liz. Let's hear their story. What has God done? What has God shown you? What is God doing in your life? It is a beautiful testimony of God taking suffering and transforming it for his glory. That in the middle of a battle with cancer, that there would be a testimony of Jesus Christ. That his glory would be revealed through Tim and Liz and in their battle and their fight. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. But this is the reality of Jesus' ministry as well. This is the reality of who Jesus is. He could have easily come to earth, lived just a life of luxury, done just whatever he wanted to do, but instead he came and suffered on our behalf for us. Last week, 
we saw a few pictures of children living in poverty in India. It was moving. It was powerful. It breaks my heart. There's a couple of those pictures of the kids. It just, it just breaks your heart. There's millions of kids living there in poverty right now. And so what can we do? Maybe we just we give what little we have to help the moms get out of prostitution. It might mean us going to India. There's an opportunity for us. We're going to India in the end of October. I mean, for some of us, we haven't even asked the question, like, God, do you want me to go? Because we think there's no way I'd ever go there. It's too smelly. It's too dirty. It's too crowded. It's too far. It's too much money. I mean, there's a million reasons why we should not go. And maybe we need, this, we need to begin by saying, Lord, would you have me go? There's been an open door. There's been an invitation. We feel like God has, has provided for us an opportunity to go. Maybe you never saw yourself as doing something, anything like that. But yet God might be asking us to go. There's been an invitation. If we do go, I promise you, you will not be the same when you come back. Our senses will be shocked. We'll be inundated with poverty and brokenness on a level that we have never seen before. but we have the opportunity to reach the people with the good news of Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity to make a proclamation of who Jesus is. There's an opportunity to bring light where there's darkness, to bring hope where there's nothing but, but despair. That's what Jesus Christ is giving us an opportunity to do. Because what Jesus Christ does with this, with this confession that he's the Messiah, is he, he moves directly into saying, well, here's what that means, Okay. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. See, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? You're a teacher, you're a miracle worker, you're a prophet. But none of those things have a claim on our lives. We can say all those things about Jesus, but it doesn't make a claim on my life. That girl at the, at the restaurant could easily say, hey, Jesus is a great guy. Man, he's a good teacher. But that means nothing to my life right now. Sure, I can learn some things. Sure, I can, I can, I can maybe be inspired. I mean, but it doesn't make a claim on my life. I want to make this connection for us. See, in the same way, if I talk about my wife, Michelle, and I say, look, Michelle is a good teacher. She's a good cook. She's a good photographer. See, none of those things has a claim on my life. But if I say to you, look, Michelle is my wife, that changes everything. That makes a claim on my life. See, Jesus can be a good teacher, and it means, it means very little to me. But to say Jesus is the Messiah makes a claim on us. Because if he is the Son of God, if he is the King of the universe... If he is our creator and sustainer of all things, that makes a claim on who I am. See, I can say Michelle's a good cook and a good photographer and all those things, and it could mean very little to the way that I live my life. She can be a good cook, and I can go live any way I want. She can be a good photographer, and I can spend my money any way I want. She can be a great teacher, and I can still hang out with my buddies and live like I'm single. 
But if I say, no, she's my wife, that means that, that dictates how and who I live with. That means I don't spend the money any way I want. It doesn't mean, it means that I don't just go, go anywhere I want. It means that the basis of my life has been transformed and changed by that one reality. In the same way, Jesus Christ is connecting his identity as Messiah to the very fact this means it affects all of life. This confession brings about a radical change of who we are and the way we think about everything. Jesus Christ as Messiah doesn't mean he's one road on, a, on, a, on many roads that could all lead us in somewhere in the same direction. It means he's got a claim on our lives. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing in this passage. He's connecting this confession of who he is to saying, look, this has implications. This confession means something. It has a claim on your life. Jesus spells it out for us. He says, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him. That is what this confession means for my life. This confession not only brings us into salvation, but it's also the confession that keeps us walking with him in his glorious salvation. See, dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, means dying to self or losing ourselves for Christ's sake. So individually, it means doing marriage, parenting, work, family, friendship, God's ways, His purposes. We do things His way. You know, just last week, we had the opportunity to give seven, we had, I told you about the wireless mics, right? We the guys from Africa were here. We said, hey, look, we've got, they said, can we go to a secondhand store? We're looking for wireless mics because our churches would just be so blessed. By, they don't have power. They've got generators. They've got, you know, I mean, it's just really rudimentary, but they've got, they need wireless mics. They said it would just be fantastic to have those to move around in the different places they're going. And lo and behold, we had seven sets of wireless mics here that we had completely, I had forgotten about I think most other people had forgotten about probably except for Brett, but he didn't know they were asking for wireless mic sets. So they were able to put together seven sets and send them away. Now, here's the thing. The technology from when those, when those were first purchased probably 20 years ago has changed, and so the f- different frequencies of the wireless mic systems are no longer legal in the States because the police and the ambulances and all this stuff use that same frequency so we had to get rid of all those old frequency units, send them to Africa, great. So sending away seven wireless mic sets that we can't use anymore is like, hey, man, what a, that's great. What a blessing, man. We're not going to use those anyways. We feel like pretty good guys because we're you know, sending them on. But in all actuality, it didn't cost us much, right? Now, talking with Brett, he's like, but hey, you know, three of those units we can still use, but we're going to send them along, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, they would still be really happy with five. I mean, whether you get like seven or five, you're still just, you're still just as happy. You still think we're really great people. You know, I mean, what's a couple of sets? I mean, what if we need the sets? What if we need wireless mics? I mean, what if we do a play or, you know, something where we need wireless mic sets 
and we don't have any, we have to go out and buy some. That would not be good stewardship of the resources we do have. So in my mind, and this is going on, you know, all last week and working through the idea of, you know, the idea of giving seven away that we can't use, no problem. Giving, you know, three away that we can use is a different story. But that's exactly what I think in this, this is what Jesus Christ is talking about. Like, we have the invitation. God's opened the door for us. He's given us an opportunity. And to deny ourselves doesn't mean we, we hold back what we have and then give God the scraps. Hey, we can't use these. You take the ones you, we can't use, and we'll keep the ones we can just in case. I think so often in my own life, denying myself has meant, look, I'll, I'll do whatever I want with my time and my energy and my talents and my money, and then whatever little I have left over, and maybe I don't have any left over, so I have nothing to give, but whatever little I do have left over, God, that's yours. I'll give that to you. And you should be pretty happy because it's something. It's better than nothing, right? I mean, five wireless mics are just as good as seven, right? Or whatever. And I think... That is how often I live my life. But that isn't what Jesus Christ is talking about. See, when we get into a disagreement with our spouse, we feel like just letting it all out and we're, we become upset or angry and we feel like, man, I'm just going I'm I'm to let them have it. It means doing things God's way. It means Jesus, the gospel is demonstrated. The good news that you are alive you are living and you are active and you are, you are dwelling in me means that I, I begin to respond in the way that you would respond. That would follow after you even in the way that I speak to my children or my wife or my coworkers or my friends. It even would affect the way that I, that I, I take in media, the websites I look at, the places I go on the internet. Even that is affected by my walk with Jesus Christ. Corporately, for us, we've got an invitation to go to Bolivia twice this summer and India once in the fall. My encouragement for us is that there are more people here who need to go on these trips, that God's asking you to go on these trips that have then have signed up. My encouragement for us is that we would seriously begin to ask the Lord, God, would you have me go on this trip? God, would you have me participate to go to these trips? We've got an open door. We've got invitations. God has given us just a clear way forward. These are going to be fantastic times in seeking the Lord and declaring God's good news to people. It would mean giving up vacation time. It would mean the precious time that you have for vacation from work would have to be given up. It would mean the money that you would probably normally spend on something like a vacation or anything else would be spent to, to buy an airplane ticket to go on a missions trip. It would mean maybe staying home and going camping instead of taking that nice vacation in Florida. And there's a number of things that take place for us to say, God, because you're calling me to do this, it means I give you my first fruits instead of the leftovers. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. I want us to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you asking of me? 
God, what are you calling me to? Because this is the practical way in which we walk with Jesus Christ. His call to us, the good news of the gospel, is that he not only one redeems us and saves us, but that now he also then calls us to be with him. That we're not left on our own till we get to heaven. That every day he's calling us to himself. And I think even too, just in assessing where the church is at, there's a number of families who are experiencing sickness, depression, hard times in marriage. Even in those seasons, Jesus Christ is still calling us to come and follow him. It'd be easy to say, you know what, once this sickness gets cleared up, then we'll, then we'll talk. Hey, once this depression lifts, then we'll talk. Hey, once our marriage gets cleaned up, then we'll talk. Once our kids become obedient, then we'll be able to do these things. I think in the midst of this, Jesus Christ is calling us to himself. And this is what it looks like for us to walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to pray. And I just want us just to take a moment as we um, pass out the communion elements to ask the Lord, Lord, what will you have of me? What are you asking of me? What are you calling me to? Is it to give? Is it to go? God, what is it that you're calling me to? Is it, is it to respond to a situation the way that you would respond, that, that through my life, the gospel would be declared to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers? So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to take a moment. We're going we're we're to be quiet, and we're going to do business with the Lord. Then we're going to take communion together, because the good news about the communion elements is that God continues to invite us back to the table again. God continues to invite us back to himself again, that no matter where we've been this week, no matter what we've done this week, God continues to bring us back to himself. So as they're passing it, I'm just going to pray, Lord Jesus, God, thank you that you call us to be with you, that you invite us to draw near and to walk with you and to, to, to experience, Lord, your life living inside of us. And now, Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak clearly to us about what the things that you are asking us to do. God, that we would be quick to respond with a yes and an amen to whatever it is you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.